You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back. Uh, another edition of the Tomahawk Nation Hoops Dedicated Podcast. Uh, we are coming at you here on Sunday, January 31st of 2021. I am Matt Minnick, and as always, joined by Michael Rogner. Uh, we, we are coming here. It was a, it's been about a week since we've jo- uh, recorded here, and, and Florida State went one and one in the process uh, of that week with a blowout win over Miami and, and a loss to Georgia tech. So we, you know, first time in a while, Michael, that we've recorded after a loss. Yeah. I have to go back to December. That was the first loss of, of this calendar year. So that's, that's something to be something to be happy about, even though we are, we are coming off a loss. It's always more fun to talk after wins, but this is college basketball. You lose games. It happens. And it was a, it was, you know, a lot of big Saturday slate of games uh, yesterday, and wow, a lot of a lot of ranked teams taking losses. Uh, some maybe you could see coming, like Kansas traveling to Tennessee, and Kansas just, quite honestly, has not looked very good. Uh, so I think a lot of folks maybe saw that one coming. But other other you know surprises, bigger by the spread at least surprises than than Florida State and uh, Georgia Tech, and Colorado. Took a, took a home loss, I think, to Utah as a as a ten or eleven point favorite. Uh, so, you know, surprising day of college basketball indeed. Uh, we'll get there in a second, though. I think we'll spend a lot of time on on yesterday's game against the Yellow Jackets. But I don't want to just completely. I know the Hurricanes have been dismal um, for honestly for a few years now and, and almost irrelevant in the ACC uh, picture, but. Florida State did have another another blowout win at home over the Miami Hurricanes. I believe it's the 
fifth or sixth straight win against Miami and, and 22nd straight consecutive conference win it in the Tucker center. Any, anything, anything of, of note to, to talk about from that game, Michael? It's hard. It's hard to draw too much from that game. I mean, Miami's getting blown out by everybody. We, we, we blew them out. So you, you, you're happy that the team did what they're supposed to do. Uh, I think the things that kind of jumped out for me is that, you know, Raekwon Gray can continued his, his very good play of late. Um, and then Sadar Calhoun also kind of, kind of popped out of his shell a little bit and he, he, he's starting to play better, which, which, which is good to see. We're going to, we're going to need uh, Calhoun to be playing well come March and, and, and obviously having Gray, you know, sort of uh, taking a major step forward is, 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 is good for the team. Yeah, certainly Gray. Um, and, it, you know, it wasn't maybe Gray's most efficient game, but still the double-double that he had, which I believe was – was it his first uh, career double-double? It was his first. Yeah, which, which is funny. A game after uh, Bolsha had his first career double-double. And also in the same game that Malik Osborne had his first, at least in Tallahassee. I know Malik had some double-doubles when he – you know, he spent his freshman year at Rice. But uh, Calhoun did, I think it's – you know, he, maybe his most impressive play, he, we've considered a lot of folks, I think, consider him as sort of, you know, I've seen mentions of Tim Pickett or PJ Savoy and, and for his three point stroke and don't get me wrong. Uh, Sardar Calhoun's three point stroke is, is very nice to have as a, as a floor spacing uh, element, but you know, he is, he has got a lot more athleticism and bounce than any, either of PJ Savoy or Tim Pickett. And that is not, I, I was a huge, huge Tim Pickett fan uh, back in the early 2000 part of, you know, 20 years ago, almost now. And n- neither of those guys uh, had the bounce that Calhoun has and to see him get up for that alley-oop uh, that, that was something that I would like to see a bit more of. We, we saw him, I think blow that, you know, everyone was laughing at the blown dunk at the end of the Miami game, which is probably just a function of, a guy not being used to, you know, having that wide open of a look in, in, uh, at Florida state, but I've been impressed with his ability to get to the rim, maybe a bit more in the last few games, as opposed to just being a spot up three point shooter. Yeah. Savoy, that's all he did was shoot threes. Like if you look at, look at his, his shot chart for his career is like 80% of his shots or even more than that were threes. Whereas Calhoun, he's actually taken more twos than threes this year. Only only one more, but he's taken 30 twos to only 29 threes. In the last two games, he's taken 11 twos to four threes. So, yeah, he's, he's definitely uh, a, a more well-rounded scorer. And then he also added in those three offensive boards yesterday, which which was the first we've really seen of that. He he has not been a good rebounder um, since he got here. So, so that, 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 that was good to see. Um, you know, any time that he can score in, in other ways – is you know is going to going to kind of free up him as a shooter and then also free up other guys as as a shooter. Uh, so yeah, that was, that was, it's he's definitely different. He's more from the from the picket school than he is from from uh, PJ Savoy. Well, and I would even maybe say he's more from the Isaiah Swan school. Uh, if we're really really going to go back in those guards, um, I, I think you know maybe he has a better. Th- three-point shot than Isaiah Swan, although Swan certainly has some games too, but just the athleticism. Calhoun's someone that I would love to see maybe take advantage of this COVID year, and so he could technically come back and basically still be a junior next year. Um, And and that's the guy that when you think about a big guard you, 
I mean, that's what a big guard should be doing. They should be grabbing offensive rebounds. They should be getting to the free throw line. They should be impacting the game defensively with deflections and tips and, uh, you know, just generally wrecking havoc. And I'd love to see someone of his frame and athleticism start to be able to fill out a a stat sheet other than uh, perhaps what he came in for being known as, as, as a shooter. Uh, So Certainly something to monitor going forward. All right. Um, so great. We crushed Miami. I, you know, it's weird to say this over your rivals, but that's what we do at home is, is beat teams by double digits, uh, be bad teams by double digits. So yesterday, uh, Florida state went to Atlanta to take on the yellow jackets, a yellow jackets team that came into the game seven and five, but really, really Michael, the, you know, so, uh, Josh Pashner made a decision in the offseason or the preseason to basically have contactless practice. He was very concerned about COVID and, and had no physical contact at practice at all and essentially just had guys, you know, shooting or going through walkthroughs. And, I, I, you know, they started the year with two bad losses. They lost to Georgia State and Mercer in late November to open the year. Uh, since those two games, yes, they were only seven and five, but they're th- their three other losses were to Florida state and Tucker center, which, okay. No one really wins there. Virginia on the road by two and Duke, a, a, an improving a rapidly improving Duke team in Cameron uh, by seven. And the game was closer than it was, it was a you know tie game kind of late in the game there. So they, they beat North Carolina. They blew out Clemson. They blew out Wake Forest. Uh, they blew out Kentucky so this was a team that was clearly better than their record indicated. I think you and I uh, both had expressed some concern over this being a you know potential loss. Uh, but so I don't want to ask you if you were surprised by the loss, but were you surprised at the way it played out? Yes and no. I mean, I certainly wasn't happy with the way that it played out, but the the the, the bad things that we saw yesterday, we've been seeing flashes of those all season and so I don't think that anybody should be surprised that Florida State was totally careless with the ball I don't think anybody should be surprised that that we we spent way too much time trying to force the action through the post it's just the, the those things have kind of reared up all season um, the defense to me was pretty disappointing um, you know I don't, I don't I certainly don't like to see that and I, I don't expect it but it's again it's it's something that that we've seen all season guys like Jose Alvarado have the ability to just blow by anybody on on our team and when we've got Anthony Polite sitting on the bench you know then we don't really have anybody who who can stop him this was absolutely a game that I think Anthony Polite makes a difference in Um, Florida State played Georgia Tech back in December Uh, Anthony Polite played the second most minutes on the team in that game uh, 34 minutes and he really was a large reason of why in that game Jose Alvarado was limited to seven points and had two toner, two turnovers and didn't get to the free throw line once because Anthony Polite is our best perimeter defender and is the guy who, I mean, he's, he's not as quick as Jose Alvarado, but with his length, he can stay in front of someone like that and force, force him off his spots. That was missing yesterday. And to your point, it was very disappointing to see, I think just the general, defensive performance um you know you look at the at the box score and Alvarado played 40 minutes 
Michael DeVoe played 40 minutes. Moses Wright played 38 minutes. I've come to expect that when three guys play those types, types of minutes, you know, we, we are able to be the one that is dictating our, the pressure and the physicality and wearing them down. And that just never seemed to be the case. As, as a matter of fact, at the end of the game, it was Georgia Tech that was pulling away and, and wearing, it seemed like wearing FSU down. And, and Jose Alvarado picked up his third foul um, early in the second half. And, and you just never saw FSU even attempt to take advantage of that, uh, either by drawing a charge on defense or uh, by going right at them on offense. Yeah, those three guys that you mentioned that played all those minutes, they, they scored, what, 63 of the Georgia Tech's 76 points? I mean, it was, it was basically a three-man game, and we didn't have an answer for any of them. We're kind of lucky that they weren't hitting threes yesterday. They, they entered the, the, the game as the number one three-point shooting team in the ACC, and they only made 29%. So I know that we didn't shoot well either, but we didn't take very many. They did a much better job taking them away from us than, than we did from them. But it, this was an 11 point game that felt that felt to me that Georgia tech could have won this thing by like 18 or something. And it would, it would have all been the same. Yeah. Yeah. And so let's, I think we were both disappointed in the defense. Maybe there's a re maybe we can say Anthony polite, not being there is a part of that. Uh, I, I don't like to chalk, I don't know. I don't like to think that one guy can make a 15 point difference, but I at least can acknowledge that he is a difference maker in terms of cutting off the head of the snake of Jose Alvarado offensively. Uh, and, and I don't know, maybe this is a product of we, we weren't able to get defensive stops that would lead towards easy transition offense, but you kind of mentioned forcing things into the post. I mean, some of these numbers, Michael, 27%, uh, turnover rate for Florida State. Yes, we've been turning the ball over higher this year than maybe a Trent Forrest-led team, but not not 27%. Um, you know, three for 14 shooting from three. Uh, 14 for 23 from the, from the free throw line. Uh, 23 is actually a pretty solid number to get there, but it seemed like everyone was, was missing some. And then you just look at some of these offensive ratings, uh, 70 for your starting point guard and Raquan Evans, a 67 for Wilkes, a 76 for your senior guard, shooting guard, MJ Walker, who was coming to his you know hometown. He, he had five fouls and four turnovers, more, more combined fouls and turnovers than he had points, eight. Uh, a 21 offensive rating for Malik Osborne. Uh, what is there to make of, of just that offensive? Do you just flush it and throw it away? Or I don't, I don't know. I, I, you know, the easy answer is you flush it and you go away. But I, I, the, I think, I think the larger point is that one of Ham's weaknesses, in my opinion, is that he really loves to force the action through the post. And yesterday it was clearly not working. Like we couldn't even get the ball into the post, much less get it, get it and make, make an effective move. And we just kept going to it and we we're passing up open threes in order to do that. It was, it was just a, a kind of beating our heads against the wall in an offensive philosophy that clearly wasn't working. And it wasn't until the second half when we started going to go into gray in the post that we really switched things up a little bit and started to find a little bit of rhythm. So that, that whole first half and the first five minutes of the second half are just, 
it's just really bad basketball and, and, and hopefully the team can learn from it. I don't, I don't think that they should just ignore it because there are, there are some lessons to be learned. Uh, if, if you, if you look at the, at the, at the, the turnover, you mentioned, you mentioned a 27% turnover rate. That's the highest that we've had in two years. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's a big deal. And Moses Wright had six steals. I mean, come on. Yeah, the guy, yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. That, that is, he's a, a six, nine guy, you know, setting who's, Who's, yeah, 60. That's, just that's Chris Singleton like numbers, right? You know, like, and Moses Wright is not, not Chris Singleton. I, he's a solid player, but he's not Chris Singleton. What, what is that just still? Um, I, well, okay. I want to be very careful that we're not uh, trying to make assumptions or, or put words into the mouths of coaches and stuff because we, we aren't the coaching staff, but at times maybe that still appears on the court to be where there's this sort of, I just haven't quite fully, fully transitioned from being what really we were sort of a, a twin tower uh, dribble drive, you know, read and react offense for a lot of the first part of, of Hamilton's tenure and, and through to his credit through a really substantial evolution of philosophy have turned into um you know still still maybe a read and react motion offense but one that is more of a four out one in uh at times five out uh more more like a golden state type of offense that is predicated on on keeping the ball you know whipped around reversing the action whipping it around and finding the mismatch isolating people and getting mismatches and kick out for threes uh and and we have heard hamilton say things like we didn't uh, pass the, we didn't make as many passes as he would like us to see uh, in the Georgia tech game or in losses like this. Is that, in, is that, is there just still some of those remnants of he wants those passes to come out of the post as opposed to, you know, getting the defense moving side to side. You can see where they're going with it. I mean, Balsa is going to be, I wouldn't call him a dominant post player, but he's going to be a really solid post player, probably probably as early as next year. But he's just not there yet. But they're they're still, um, uh, you know, developing these guys, and part of that development is that you have to have to do it in the game, and 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 so and so you can kind of see why they're 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 going through Balsha because that that's kind of where this team team is headed. Uh, but but right now it's just not there, and I think that in a game like this where you're just repeatedly turning the ball over by forcing the same thing, you 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 have to switch up sooner. You you have to you have to change things, um, you know, earlier than we did. And we we played small a lot of the second half, and and Georgia Tech still beat us. So it's not like you know that was the key to to beating Georgia Tech. We we did a lot of things wrong, but we we had the we had the 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 potential to kind of open up a little bit of a lead in the first half. And we just, we just didn't do it because everything, everything was just so careless and, and haphazard. We did have that. You're right. It was 20 to 14 uh, with about 10 minutes to go in the first half. Uh, Nate Jack made his only uh, shot of the game. He, he only played four minutes, but he made a three uh, to put it 20 to 14. And, and yeah, after that, it just sort of felt like nothing. To your point, guys weren't even shooting. I I was uh, watching the game with a couple folks, and it's just like that. Just getting, we couldn't even just get off a shot because the shot was being passed up 
for then a turnover. And, and you look at, you, you mentioned that Georgia tech came in as the number one three point shooting team in the ACC and they shot seven of 24 from three Florida state is, was only just a notch below them at number two. And Florida state was only three of 14 with five of those uh, 14 attempts coming from Wyatt Wilkes. Uh, you know, Calhoun only took one, three, Malik, who had a forgettable day, only scored one point, took three. MJ took three. No three attempts from Raquan Evans, which which Raquan Evans is one of your, you know, better. I mean, he can make three. He's, he's, he's you know, over his career here, he's 16 of 36. No three-point attempts uh, from him. Uh, no three-point attempts from Raquan Gray. No three-point attempts from Scotty Barnes. I'm not saying that I want Scotty, you know, jacking up threes all the time, but he has he's at least demonstrated an ability. And again, we didn't have Anthony Polite. It just seemed like there wasn't even a a, a thought that I should take this open three, with with maybe the exception of Wyatt, who unfortunately, you know, had an off day and was one for five. Yeah, and I think that goes back to the game plan of, of you know trying to force the ball into the post. The when you when you're making the guys think too much. Then that's the kind that that's the kind those are the kind of possessions that happen, and I, you know I, I I'm I don't know what the solution is there because you know obviously they've got to be thinking about some sort of game plan, but it it when 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 it when it involves the best three or the I guess we're the second best three point shooting team in the ACC entering that game you know only taking 14 threes that's just that's not. That's that's not a, a a recipe for a win, and it's not like Georgia Tech was was selling out and and just pressuring high on everything. I mean, they they did a good job taking taking away the threes, but we also did a really poor job of identifying those open shots when when they were there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that twenty to fourteen. So we led. It seemed to me uh, that it was. I think Tenor was maybe in the game for a large stretch after that. I mean, I say large, he only played six minutes total. I don't think any of those minutes came in the second half is my point. You mentioned, you know, we went small for most of the second half. We kind of cut it there to five or so in the second half. Looked like we might've had a chance, but Georgia, you know, Alvarado simply just came out and put Georgia tech on his back. Um, but uh, it, I, I really felt it, it particularly bogged down when there was a lineup out there that was, you know, to Norengam, uh, I think Wilkes or, or maybe Evans and Malik Osborne uh, and Jack, you, you just didn't have, you didn't have anyone who really felt like they, you know, really truly feel comfortable in the system. And, and that takes time. Like, let's just take a step back and say it's Tenor's first year in the system. Yeah, it says senior next to his name, but it's his first year in the system. Nate Jack only this year has really started to play in most games. Uh, it's Calhoun's first year in the system. So I'm not blaming players, but it looked like there was a stretch where there just was a sense of uncomfortableness. And a lot of that came from trying to force the ball inside to, to Noor. He took three attempts, a couple of them. I don't know how layout layups rimmed out, but a couple of his like layup attempts rimmed out. Uh, we, we turned it over two or three more times trying to get him the ball. I, I don't know. I'd love to see us get back maybe two years ago where it was a little bit more of um, the, instead of using the, uh, using the post to open up the three, you're using 
the the threat of a PJ Savoy or you know someone on the three point line to De- Devin Vassell or someone to throw the lob to get into the paint and instead of tossing a a, a three point uh, maybe alley oop pass uh, from the three point line. Uh, you're more getting in, drawing the defense in, and just tossing up a very easy to catch lob to like a guy like we did with Kamaji or or um, John Isaac. It, do you just feel like maybe the team just hasn't? They're just not there yet. They did. It's been a weird season. They've only played what now 13 games. They're just not there yet. Yeah. Well, part of it is they're not there, and part of it is we don't have Kamaji. But but it, it, the point stands and there's there's a couple different ways of getting the ball into the post one is by making a post entry pass which we saw a lot of yesterday the other is driving the ball into the post and and florida state is way more effective when we're driving the ball into the post because it because it opens up lots of offensive options when we're when we're just pounding the ball into the post you're basically looking at one option and, it, and it's it's a really easy easy thing to defend unless you have a dominant post player which we just don't have yeah yeah. Okay. I think, yeah, there you go. You probably said more succinctly what I was trying to say was, yes, let's look at other ways to get a shot in the post uh, than just then tossing it in from the perimeter. I, I think back to the Duke game that actually the last time we lost in the Tucker center, when Cam Reddish hit the, hit the buzzer beating three, you know, we, we Duke had a lot of like a lot of NBA talent on that team and we were able to simply negate that by, you know, Kamaji and uh, Fiondu Cabangeli both just, you know, they would simply roll to the basket and either Trent or Terrence or PJ would, would just loft it up and let them go get it. And uh, it's either a foul or a dunk. Uh, I'd like to see a little more of that. Now, I understand that we don't have a Fiondu Cabangeli. I, I, it's probably, God, crazy to even think about the statement of, we don't have Chris Kamaji because, because you think about where he was his freshman and sophomore year, but you're right. You're right. Chris Kamaji of his senior year was an imposing physical big man that could change the game at both ends. So yeah, I guess maybe that is, we don't have a Chris Kamaji. And he was really good at catching lobs, which Balser is just not as, you know, he's, he, he can't, he can't, can't get as high above the rim as Kamaji could get. Yeah. And, and Tenor still seems to, lacks some of the awareness within the offense. I think that goes back mm-hmm. to it's just we played 13 games. It still lacks some of that awareness within the offense. It's actually uh, I'm really looking forward to Naheem. Uh, I think he might be a bit more of a lob guy, Naheem uh, McLeod coming in uh, next year. So I don't know. Is, is there, are there things in the um, we've talked here about 20 minutes now, the, does the Georgia Tech game, is that, a, is that a game that, hey, sometimes, to your point, you should take from this. These are weaknesses we've seen, but we've been able to mitigate against a lot of them. It, or, you know, is that something just to kind of note, but, you know, you, you move forward, you learn and reel off a few more wins? Or is there a larger concern for you for a team that is now right about halfway through ACC play? If we look at last year's team, there was that early loss to Indiana, like in the very beginning of December, that was, that was a blowout. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the games that they lost were, they were all in, in it, right. you know, right, right, right to the end. And so to see a game at, in late January where we're just kind of not in it for most of the second half against, against Georgia tech, it definitely raises the issue of, the you know what is the floor of this team last year's team never lost a game like this after after you know the first week of December Mm -hmm. and and so 
looking at you know Georgia Tech, which would be a kind of a fringe uh, uh, tournament team. It's the kind of team that you could face in the first round of, of the NCAA tournament, and and to have them kind of just dismantle FSU like that is it's it's a, it's a pretty big concern. But you know, the, on the other hand, it's it's you know it's this weird COVID season. It's it's a road game. You you never quite know everything that's going on. We're missing one of our key players, so so I would I wouldn't read too much into it, but I definitely see it as you know it's it, it's concerning. Yeah, I the you the floor. I think the floor statement is is a valid one worth repeating uh, here. I, I don't know that I'd be doing my job as a maybe a moderator or host if because I've seen, I've started to see whether it's on uh, Twitter or, or the Tomahawk Nation message boards, or even just talking to friends like, Oh, is, you know, I think you start hearing people like Seth Greenberg who talked about Florida state as a final four team. And you start, you start seeing people say things like this team is somehow better than last year's team. And, and I, I just don't buy, I, I think that is, is not, uh, not a true statement. I, I, First of all, any Final Four talk is always relevant only to within the scope of that year. I mean, you, you can have a you can be a top four or five team one year, and and that team might not even be a top ten team the next year. Uh, so first of all, that is always a relevant comment based on the other teams that are playing basketball this year. And from what I've seen across the nation this year, you have Gonzaga and you have Baylor, who are both head and shoulders above everybody else. And then uh, the rest of the country, I think you could pick 20 teams of any given night that could probably, you know, given the right draw, make a run to the Elite Eight or Final Four. Uh, but to your point about the floor, the, the shooting of this year's team, the three-point shooting gives them a ceiling that maybe approaches the ceiling of last year's team for, for very different reasons. But um, maybe like in terms of the types of teams you can beat, the floor is way worse. And part of that is because Trent Forrest is no longer here. You don't have that, the winningest player in FSU history as a steadying, you know, influence at point guard, the guy who, when the game is 40 to 35, he says, okay, time, time for me to start getting in the paint, draw that fourth foul on Alvarado. And in this, uh, in this game right here, uh, you don't have two other lottery picks on the team, Patrick Williams and Devin Vassell that can make up uh, for a lot of others mistakes. So, yeah, when this team is off, the floor is well worse. But I also think, though, it's weird to say that it's mid-January or late January and we've played 13 games. Last, uh, last year, February 1st, we had a game at, on the road at, at Virginia Tech. You'll recall uh, Devin Vassell went 7-for-7 seven seven from 3 in that game. And it was our 21st game of the season. Uh, and so I, I do think that maybe the there is still more room for growth, perhaps, on this team than uh, what is of typical for for January thirty first. That's true, and it's it's true for everybody. I mean, we're you know mo most teams like we're about to face Boston College. They haven't played a game in two weeks, you know. So it's that it's that weird COVID season that it just makes it makes things hard to analyze, and it makes it makes teams hard to figure out. Except for you know Gonzaga and Baylor, who are clearly better than better than everybody. You know the the ACC is is you know maybe maybe a little bit down from from where they were last year, uh, but. But you know it's still a solid conference, and FSU is is playing better than almost everyone in the ACC, which is good to see. 
you know, it's just then you go out and you flop a game like you did did against Georgia Tech, and and it's and it's you know everybody starts getting concerned. But you know, go on the road and blow out Boston College, and everybody will be happy again. So, am I hearing you then? It, it, maybe is this just a year that the variability is just increased? The game to game variability is is simply larger than perhaps previous years. It seems that way. I mean, I would love to see somebody analyze it in some sort of meaning, meaningful way. But, but yeah, just looking at the results yesterday, you know, you got you got Florida going and beating West Virginia, and and you know all, all kinds of all kinds of weird weird things happening. Uh, Penn State beat Wisconsin, I think. So Virginia just, was blown out by Virginia Tech. Yeah, and in a game that they were winning, you know, after like twenty five minutes or something, then they just get rolled. So if if Virginia's getting rolled by Virginia Tech, then it, you know it's kind of a weird year. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe it's on the one hand, I'm like, well, is it too early to start talking or too, you know, should we start talking March is only a month really before March. On the other hand, I'm like, well, gosh, uh, BC's played um, seven conference games. So maybe it's not too, maybe it is too early. So I I do agree with you though, that the floor of this team is, is simply not as high as the floor of last year's teams, which means, so what does that mean? It means as a fan, you got to manage those expectations and understand that, you know what, an 11 point loss on the road to maybe a, a tournament team. That's just what happens to a team that has a bit of a lower floor. If you go back to um, what was it? The 2018 team, Florida state was 23 and 12. Uh, that, that is a classic example of a team with a, with a very high ceiling, um, a high enough ceiling to, roll a top 20 Florida team on the road or a high enough ceiling, uh, you know, to beat a a very good Louisville team on the road, but also a low enough ceiling to suffer, you know, back-to-back double-digit, one of them by 20 points, ACC losses in February uh, and, and to lose to a really bad Wake Forest team. So um, yeah. And that team still went to the elite eight. Right. And I think that exemplifies sort of the high variability of March. And, and this season feels like it's going to be an even higher uh, variable uh, outcome set of outcomes in March. Which uh, could make, could make March really fun. You know, you never know. Yeah. It's almost like it could make it kind of madness if you really think about it yeah. that way. <laughs> so uh, yeah, let's, let's take a quick break. Maybe when we come back, we will, because you mentioned uh, Virginia losing yesterday, and maybe we'll take a quick look at the ACC standing since we are about halfway through, and then turn our attention to the next opponent. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Okay, so we're back. And as promised, let's let's take a look at the at the ACC standings here. Uh, so let's see, it is right at about the mid now teams have played various amounts of games because of COVID, but right at about the midway point here for this 15 team uh, conference and Virginia is at the top of the standings now seven and one 
uh, followed by Virginia Tech, the team they just lost to uh, by a lot, <laughs> uh, seven and two. And then Florida State is essentially a half game behind Virginia Tech at six and two. And North Carolina is a half game behind Florida State uh, with that loss to Florida State already uh, at six and three. Do you feel like those have been the top four teams in the conference? Yeah, I think so. I mean, Duke, Duke is the other team that I guess Duke and Georgia Tech are the other teams that kind of have a uh, an, an argument there. But North Carolina is playing playing better. Virginia Tech is playing well. Uh, Virginia and Florida State have clearly you know belong in that group. Yeah, and so Duke and Georgia Tech and Louisville are in that next that next little group down, all of whom have three losses, uh, but a varying degree of wins again, because of uh, numbers of games played Georgia tech's only played seven conference games uh, in those seven though. They do again. Now they have wins over uh, North Carolina and Florida state. So two teams above them in the standings and, and very close road losses to Virginia and Duke uh, Louisville and Duke round that out. So Louisville actually just beat Duke, but Duke's freshmen uh, seem to be making some progress. You're starting to see Jalen Johnson show why he was a top 10 recruit and Duke actually just beat Georgia tech at home. And, and then Clemson, uh, any of these teams, the Duke Louisville, Georgia tech, you feel like could make a run into that top four and bump a Florida state or Virginia tech or North Carolina out. Um, I, th- I think it's probably be Duke right now. They've, they've, they kind of get this the the schedule gift this year. They've they've played the fourteenth toughest schedule to date, so they have, they haven't played many teams. And you know, left on their schedule, uh, they play Virginia. They do not play Florida State. They, do they not skipped play us. Virginia. Yeah, ours was COVID yeah. canceled. Yep. Yep. They do not play uh, Virginia Tech either. And so, you know, they get two games against North Carolina, um, one game against Virginia, and, and, and that's it. So, yeah. No, I, I, I funny Duke seems, I feel like we're talking about Duke having an easier conference schedule uh, a lot of years, but it does appear to be the case. Georgia tech maybe is the team that is suffering the worst from that. They've had um, they've had the second hardest schedule to date in part because they've already played Florida state twice, right? So they've played the second best team in the conference or at least in the standings twice. And they've also already played Virginia and Duke. Well, lucky them, they get uh, Virginia again, they get Duke again, uh, they get Louisville next on the road and they get uh, Virginia tech. So unfortunately the schedule doesn't seem to get too much easier for Josh Passner's squad. Uh, and we'll see how their guys that are currently playing 40 and 38 minutes can do against that, but pretty interesting game, you know, on a one day turnaround here coming up for Georgia tech at Louisville on Monday. I, I have a feeling that Louisville might get them being the more rested team there. Uh, I see down at the bottom of the standings is, is Boston college. They are bringing up the, bringing up the rear at one and six. And that happens to be Florida state's uh, next opponent. Um, Florida state travels to Boston college on Tuesday. Uh, Boston college has three wins on the year. They beat Rhode Island early in the season. Pretty good Rhode Island team. Uh, They beat Maine who, I don't know, I guess they play basketball and they beat uh, a, a struggling and, and injury lessened Miami team last week at home. Other than that, they have lost a lot of games. 
Yeah, they have had a couple of road games, one against North Carolina State that they lost by a bucket and one at Duke where they lost by a point. You know, so that they they definitely could have won maybe a game or two more, but yeah, they're they're just a bad basketball team. Jim Christian has has not done a good job at all at Boston College, and you know it's scary to think that this year's team you know might actually be better than the last couple teams he's had. You know, so this is this is kind of a good Jim Christian team, and he's three and ten, one and six. So they they're in a mess, and it'll be interesting to see how they how they bounce back after you know what like seventeen days without playing. Yeah. What I so you're right. They haven't played since January 16th, which was a loss to uh, Notre Dame on the road, 80 to 70. I'm looking at some stats here though, and it so one jumps out at me. Their defense allows a remarkable percentage of two point uh, buckets to be made. They're 324th in the country at allowing opponents, you know, on two point shots. 56 percent of opponents' two point shots are made, which is, you know, bottom. I, I don't even think, I think this year because of COVID, there's not, you know, Ivy League's not playing and stuff. So 324 might be like bottom 10 or 12 in the country. Um, I, honestly, maybe a little concerning. Do, do you think that, so what, a, a, you read that as a scouting report, we're just going to go in, go in there and try to pound the paint again with entry passes to, to big men who really aren't big men? Well, Florida State is, is if you look at our offense, you know, we're the number one team in the ACC shooting 56.2% on twos. Uh, this, I should certainly hope it's not a game where we're just pounding the post. I would hope that it's a game where we're getting a lot of runouts, you know, some some sort of offense on our defense, and, and that's how we're scoring on twos. Some, some quick hitters, maybe even after Boston College made baskets. Like, they're, they're, their defense has, has not been good. There's lots of ways to capitalize on it. And if we're slowing the game down to try to run the game through the post, then I think that is, is definitely playing in Boston College's favor. So what I'm hearing you say is, is more than one way to, to skin a cat or in this way, in this sense, eagle, I suppose. And um, so don't go down in a half-court set and try to throw an entry pass in from the perimeter into Bolsha Koprovica, but instead – rely on some of that downhill play that you mentioned a few podcasts ago but that Raekwon Evans brings to the table we've seen some of that downhill play from Raekwon Gray as well uh maybe get Scotty maybe maybe go small and get Scotty Barnes situated where he, you know he's a 6'8 guy but you know being guarded by I'm, I'm seeing here that Winston Tabs is 6'2 uh you know Rich Kelly one of their senior guards is 6'1 um, get Scotty Barnes on a situation where he can simply get into the paint and just shoot over some of these smaller players for Boston College? Yeah, if we can force BC to double guys like Scotty Barnes, Raquan Gray, Malik Osborne, I mean, th- those are big players compared to BC's roster. BC's, BC's a very small team. You know, if you can force them to double on, on those guys, then that opens up lobs to ball show that opens up kickouts for threes. And so I would, I would, I would much rather see us trying to post up those guys, um, you know, than, than just throw it to the seven footer because he happens to be guarded by a six, eight guy. Yeah. That, and we've seen that at times too. We we've seen Scotty Barnes in the paint, uh, you know, basically being tall enough to just pass over the defender, you know, guarding him and, and hit, you know, hit a cutter, hit Raekwon Gray cutting to the basket for a dunk. We've seen Raekwon Gray be, you know, some, maybe, maybe 10 feet from the basket, 
draw the double team and be able to kick to the corner for a Raquan Evans or a Sadar Calhoun or Wyatt Wilkes, who's standing in the corner waiting to bury the second best shot in basketball, the corner three. Um, so I think we've seen that happen. And I, I hope to your point that that's, that's more of the mindset we get back to going, going into this, this game on Tuesday flip on the flip side. So from defensively, there is maybe one thing that jumps out at me that BC does well on offense. Um, they're not a terrible three point shooting team, 34, 35%, uh, in conference play, it's actually closer to 36%. So they're not terrible and they take a whole lot of threes. And, and, you know, I mentioned tabs and Kelly, uh, well, Winston tabs is shooting 40% on the year, 39.7% and, and Kelly's shooting 41% on the year. Those are guys that you can't, they are small, quick guards. You can't lose them on the perimeter. And I'm going to operate under the assumption that we, we do not have Anthony polite for another game. Who's going to have to step up and make sure that, you know, they don't lose their man, you know, to, to an open corner shot on the perimeter, that they're not collapsing too far in on, on what is otherwise a not very skilled and, and large Boston college team. If, if you go back in Jim Christian's career, so he's, he's kind of bounced around a lot, um, you know, back at when in his early days at Kent State, he was one of these coaches who would really grind out games. And somewhere along the lines at TCU or Ohio, he, he kind of learned to play quicker. And this team is one of the fastest teams that he's that he's ever coached. I mean, they're they're, you know, averaging 71 possessions a game, which is which is a lot. And you know, one of one of the things that that enables them to do is they take these small guards like Tabs, Jay Heath, Rich Kelly, um, you know, and get them down the court quickly before the defense sets up. And and it's it, it, we've seen time and time again, you know, Florida State has a hard time containing these guys, you know, these small smaller smaller guards. And so they are going to be looking to, to to push the tempo and set up set up open threes, and it it's going to be a you know a three point lottery game for for BC. They're going they're, they'll, they'll probably take over half their shots from 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 three, and it'll, and it'll all be driven you know by those smaller guards breaking down our guys. I I have to be honest, Michael. I'm not feeling you know considering we're going to play a three and ten team who's one and six in the conference i'm not feeling as confident as as i was hoping you would make me feel i i you know it sounds like the things that they do well uh i don't know i'm a little nervous it's it it makes me go back to the conversation about the floor and the ceiling i think if florida state comes out and hits some early threes and and is able to get set you know making shots on offense allows you to get set on defense and allows you to dictate the kind of defensive pressure that you want to apply uh, missing shots especially three-point shots leads to long rebounds and runouts that leads to either layups or even worse uh, scramble ball that ends up in being you know kicked out threes uh, from the corner so you know I, I'm hopeful that we can do what we need to do and and control the game in, in a manner that Notre Dame controlled it when they won by 10 against BC or that uh, Florida controlled it when they won by 20 early in the season against BC but you know, I look at some of these games and I see, well, how, how did they beat this Miami team by 20? How did they go and score 84 points against Miami? Well, they were 18 from 35 for three in that game. 51 per 18 made threes. That's <laughs> how you score 84 points against Miami. Yeah. And they made 56% of their threes against Duke. They didn't take that many, but they, but they made them. And then, you know, that's the game that they lost by one point. And so you, you can see the recipe for, for, you know, how Jim Christian envisions this team, but, 
uh, fortunately for us, you know, their defense has just been bad enough that they're, they're not able to get out and run as much as they want. And so if Florida State is able to, to you know, run a functional offense and isn't turning the ball over on 27% of our possessions, then, you know, I, I would anticipate that this is a game that Florida State should should win handily, even if BC is knocking down threes. You know, the the danger is what if Florida State comes out loose again and is turning the ball over and is given, you know, BC lots of ch- chances in, in transition. And, you know, that's kind of the recipe for how to lose. Yeah. Yeah. So so don't make unforced errors. Uh, rebound your misses, get some extra looks at the basket and, and make sure that you make shots so that you can then turn around and set up your defense. And it sounds like that would be a recipe for, for walking away with, you know, so, so that you don't allow one loss to turn into to two or three losses. So um, I don't know, I guess, I guess prediction time here is we're playing a, not a very good team on paper, but one in which that could present some challenges. Uh, I see that Florida State looks like they're going to be favored by maybe seven or eight points. Um, do, do you have a prediction, Michael? I think I think I'll go back to the the five games prior to Georgia Tech, and you know, assume that Florida State is going to come out and they're going to be focused and 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 uh, you know they're going to they're going to shoot the ball well. And in, in that case, I will take Florida State in like an eighty to 70, 70 game. You know, Boston College might might have it close with like ten minutes to go, and then I think Florida State will eventually just kind of wear them down with some efficient offense. Did you say eighty to seventy or eighty to seventy seven? I'm sorry. 80 to 70, a win by 10. All right, win, win by 10. So roughly matching what uh, Notre Dame did. Uh, I will. I, I think I would have actually predicted a Boston College maybe upset had we beat Georgia Tech. I think I'll, I'll go to the old well here and note that Leonard Hamilton teams don't often lose two in a row unless they happen to be against two very strong opponents back-to-back. Generally, he's had it, been able to, you know, find success with getting his team to bounce back after losses. So I will agree with a win. I'm a little concerned about Boston College being able to hang around with three, and so I, I don't know what the exact uh, what the exact spread is going to be. But assuming the spread is nine or ten, I think I would probably take BC to cover and have it be something more along the line, maybe slightly higher scoring for both teams, maybe more like eighty three to 77 or something like that uh so six six point win all right so it looks like we've got uh two two wins predicted here and uh that will we'll, that game's on tuesday and we'll hopefully maybe we can get back uh before uh the the game that follows that which i believe is that's the makeup game one of the one of the COVID games got rescheduled so we had an extended week-long break Instead, we will come back and, and stay on the road and, and play pit the Saturday after. So, you know, we'll see. Hopefully we can get, you know, two wins on the board this week. Uh, for Michael, I am Matt signing off.